we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia. Today I'm joined by Hugh Kingston, a man who believes in making it possible. In 2015, Hugh circumnavigated the Mediterranean Sea by rowboat, bike, foot and sea kayak. In total, he travelled 13,000 kilometres and visited 17 countries. Hugh's year-long human-powered circumnavigation coincided with the 100th anniversary of the Gallipoli landing. And while this was incredibly important to Hugh, it's the relationships he forged along the way that hold most weight for him. So without further ado, let's jump on in and join Hugh Kingston. Welcome to the podcast, Hugh. It is a great pleasure to be talking with you. Yeah, so I understand that um, you were actually meant to be in another country at this particular point of the year, but uh, you ended up uh, still in Australia. Yeah, look, like many, many people, Liz, uh, uh, my plans and the plans for myself and my wife were uh, affected by COVID. And so uh, we were supposed to be based over in the UK for a year from uh, from back in April. Uh, that didn't happen, for, obviously, so uh, we find ourselves enjoying our little shack in the beautiful snowy mountains. So uh, whilst it's not quite the Yorkshire Dales and the beer is maybe not quite as good and not quite as warm, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a fabulous place to be. So, yeah, look, I mean, in, in the scheme of things, A, I'm glad we're not in the UK because it would be a rotten place to be at the moment uh, and B, can, can, compared to all the traumas that are going on for many other millions, if not billions of people around the world, we've, uh, we've, we're, we're doing pretty well down here. Well, we have in this country. We've fared pretty well, haven't we? We, I think, we can all agree that it's a, a very lucky country at this particular point in time. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I thought, you know, being in the in the snow this year and being a mad keen skier, uh, but every time I was on top of the main range this winter, and uh, you know, I'd look, I'd look on one side down to New South Wales, and then on the other side, I'd look, uh, you know, into Victoria and. Uh, feel both, you know, glad to be up there, but very guilty that, of course, through all of winter, our, our Victorian friends were all locked down and not able to enjoy the, the things that, uh, that we were enjoying in New South Wales. But, uh, look, it's just wonderful now that, 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 at the moment anyway, all of the country seems to have got things somewhat under control and uh, we can all enjoy some freedoms together. So, Hugh, you have um, a very rich history of adventuring, which I guess we will cover um, as we as we move along in this conversation. But I'm interested to know was was your trip to the UK uh, adventure based? Not really adventure based, Liz. It, it was it was uh, this one was uh, a long promise to my beautiful wife that we would uh, uh, spend a year based in the UK. Uh, I'm originally from 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 Wales, and we both have a real love affair with a, a, a beautiful part of Northern England called the Yorkshire Dales. And we were going to have a year based in a little cottage in the Yorkshire Dales, just enjoying uh, what uh, 
you know, the UK and Europe has to offer. Obviously, a lot of my life uh, is and has been travel, but there was certainly not you know big adventure involved in that when that was just, I mean, I, most of my work, which nowadays is speaking or travel writing, I can be based you know, pretty much anywhere. So uh, it was just an opportunity to have that year together. And being originally from the UK, my folks are, are based uh, in Northern England as well. So they're still in, in good health, but they're both 80. And it was a chance instead of sort of flying in and flying out and only seeing them for a few de- few days, a couple of times each year, maybe was to uh, see them a bit more often. So they were going to be about two hours drive down the road, which was close, but not too close. Uh, so yeah, but yes, uh, yeah, <laughs> just a just a just a chance to uh, enjoy being being back, uh, you know, back in the UK and close to Europe for that period. Given that you you grew up there, was adventure part of your childhood? Outdoors, adventuring? No, no, not 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 really at all. Until you know, for me, I was real a, a sort of general sports, rugby, tennis sort of guy, uh, and I started getting into the hills. I started going walking in my late teens uh, and really enjoying, you know, the, so some, some bushwalking or rambling as it was called in the UK. And then, uh, but it was, it was, it was probably, and, and certainly I had no background of, of outdoor adventure from my family. Uh, so I, I, it was really when I went to university that uh, the, which, which, which was actually in a, a city called Bradford, which was on the edge of the Dales. Uh, the, and that's when I really got into climbing and kayaking and, uh, and you know more walking and things like that so it was uni that really uh, really got me inspired into those things and uh actually uh certainly spent an awful lot more time in the lecture theater of of the yorkshire dales than the lecture theater of bradford university uh for the three years i was there and and that really sort of cemented my real love affair with uh, getting out there and i got out of you know playing rugby and i got out of playing tennis and uh, all my spare time was taken up with uh Heading to the hills. Was it university groups or was it just a group of friends that you met along the way there that that opened that door for you? Oh, look, it was it was uh, it was mainly just friends. Uh, we, we did join groups to get access to the uh, the equipment, and I actually remember uh, when I took up uh, whitewater kayaking, and I, I've actually just come back from a four day wonderful paddle here in the snowies in a fairly remote area and. Was talking with my mates on the on the banks of the river at camp the other night. How when I when I first started kayaking, uh, we joined the local club. A mate of mine had a little minivan, and so we'd go and down to the kayak shed, load the car with boats and paddles because nobody actually had never had any instructions. So nobody said, "Well, you know, when you fall out of a kayak in a rapid, hold on to your paddle or anything like that." So we were just putting out in the dales on a flooding river somewhere slide down the banks in the snow, uh, start paddling, capsize at the first rapid, let go of the paddle, uh, <laughs> swim, get to the edge, go back, get another paddle, sometimes lose boats. But it was all that, well, this, this must be what the club's for, you know. It's got all of this equipment that we can access and lose. So uh, it, was, it was a year or two later when I actually sort of started to, to, to learn learn that you don't, you know, you don't really just throw away paddles and you certainly don't throw away boats. But uh yeah, it was all good fun, and we survived. Is that because you ran out? They just ran out, and there was. I, I think. Was I think. Left? I think. I actually think we got thrown out of the kayak club. <laughs> I love that. Hugh, I understand that there was a childhood accident um, that occurred that that um, meant that you might not be able to walk 
very well. Um, did that inform your uh, sense of what you wanted to do with your life? Uh, it, it did in my late 20s. So when I, yeah, when I was 15, I had a bad fall late one night where I fell through a, a, a skylight about 10 metres down onto a pedestrian subway that, that ran underneath uh, where I was crossing this road and I fractured my spine, you know, when I was 15 then. And, you know, for a, obviously I was, I was uh, out of action for a, for a while with that, but then recovered pretty well. I was young, I was still growing. But then into my uh, mid to late 20s, I really started to get a hell of a lot of bad back problems. And I, I you know, started going to see, you know, specialists and surgeons and things like that. And, you know, by then, the outdoors was very much a, a passion for me. I was working in the outdoor industry. And, you know, many of these specialists were saying, well, look, you know, we're either going to have to operate or, or, you know, you definitely need to give up these activities. And I just couldn't see a way to giving up those activities. And I think one of the best decisions that I made in my life was, you know, when I was about 27 or 28, and I said to myself, I'm, I'm not going to listen to any more of those uh, specialists who tell me to, you know, stop carrying a big pack, to stop going paddling and whatever. I'm going to just get on and see what happens for me personally. You know, if, if I end up in crippled in my 30s or 40s or 50s, whatever it is, I'll just keep, you know, I'll just keep doing the things that I love. And certainly that decision for me, I, I think implanted something in my, in my mind uh, that somehow managed to, to help me overcome the problems I've had, a, a lifetime of problems with, with my back. And obviously, you know, there's two sorts of people in the world, those who've got a bad back and those who are going to have a bad back. But for me, mm-hmm. you know, what happened, Liz, was when I was going off on, on long journeys and long expeditions, almost inevitably and, and, and almost without exception for the last 35 years or so, I would, my back would go uh, a month or so before the trip and I would have been planning this journey, you know, for many, many months, if not years, uh, and I would find myself incapacitated. And I, I started to tell myself, all I need to do is get to the, the beginning of my journey. And often I'd arrive at the beginning of my journey uh, in a hell of a lot of pain. I might be lying down mm. on the plane, flying over to India or wherever I was going. But I knew that if I could, if I could start mm-hmm. the journey, that somehow I, my mind would be able to sort of put aside the problems I, I had with my, my, my body. And, uh, and, that, and, that, and that became a thing you know, from my late 20s right the way through to now. Uh, and I think part of it is based on, on on the idea, yes, it's really important to stay active and to not give in to these things unless you really, really have to. Mm. Uh, but the other is that there's something going on in my mind, I don't know whether it's psychosomatic, that says big journey coming up, big expedition, let's now uh, incapacitate Hugh for a while. Uh, he will then get us, uh, fly to the start line, keep going, and within the first day, the first two days, the first week, the problem that I have will dissipate, and and the concerns will be the problems of the journey itself, and and not and not my physical problems. And that's happened so many times. And 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 often, what's also happened at the end of those journeys, they can be incredibly physical, long trips of a month, two months, six months. That I'd actually then, as soon as the journey's finished, mm. I'd find myself back on my back for ten days or two weeks, 
unable to move. So I think making that decision in my late 20s that I, I'm just going to barrel on through worked for me. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying it could work for everybody, but it's, a, it's something that kept, that's kept me going. And uh, I'm in my, uh, the, the, the latter part of, of my 50s now, and uh, I'm still waiting for, to be completely incapacitated and have to give up all these things. Hugh, I'm fascinated by this idea that um, there, about a month before each um, expedition, your, your back gives out, and it sounds to me like it, perhaps it's a, a stress response to all the planning of a, you know of a, a journey that might be a month or a year in the making. But it's it's incredible that once you get to the start line, um, you can you can kind of lay that down and and get on get on the on your way with it. But that's right, and and you know I mean the the, the long trip that I did. You know, more recently in uh, around the Mediterranean, uh, the, you know, again the, the the back went a month or so before I set off. Now, you know, that journey was a year long journey. I'd been planning it for the best part of three years. I put my business into a position that it could keep running while I was away for a year. I was going to be away from family. I had sponsors. I had the fundraising with Save the Children, mm-hmm. uh, and I got to uh, Chanakali near Gallipoli. You know, the journey started at Gallipoli. Uh, and the night before I set off, I, I remember an Italian friend of mine had come to see, they'd driven with me to Turkey from Italy, uh, with the kayak on the roof to, to get to Gallipoli to start kayaking around the med. And sh- she was a physio and she was giving me a, a massage in the hotel room in Chanakali. And I was just sobbing into the pillow, uh, thinking, you know, tomorrow I start a year. Yes. I'm over here in Turkey. I've I've planned my life around this. And again, all I could say, well, I, I know that I, I must get to the start line. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to get mm. to the start line. And I, I, I got to the start line at Anzac Cove uh, the next day, uh, which was the, the day after Anzac Day. And I, I started paddling. And, 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 and I think, you know, then it, I was in a lot of discomfort. But then within a few hours, I got hit by a big storm, which sort of took my mind off my own physical problems. Uh, I camped that night. And then I got a, uh, on the first night of a year-long trip, I got a urinary tract infection. And, and then I got, I got worms for the first time in my life. And I, I, I'm like, for three days, I lay in the tent just around the corner from Anzac Cove where I started. And, of course, my, my whole uh, thought process then was, you know, I've started, I'm on my way, I've, but I've got worms, I've got a urinary tract infection, I'm, I've got a fever, and, if, and I forgot completely about my back. Well, and yes. when, all those, when, the, when, those, when those things uh, come good, or a little bit better, you know, it took a while, uh, I was on my way, and, and it was like, oh, I forgot all about that. So I don't know, there's something there that, uh, that, that seems to make it... Uh, work for me personally and uh, and I'm very glad that, that that it has you're lying around the corner from Anzac Cove with worms and with an STI uh I'm not an STI a UTI <laughs> a, U- a UTI <laughs> the, the STI came later but anyway that's... <laughs> oh, it's going so well isn't it the connection didn't drop out at that particular moment of course it didn't <laughs> Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. So don't wait. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au 
forward slash Talking Australia for our special offer. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. You're lying um, in the tent just around um, the corner from Anzac Cove. Uh, you have a UTI and worms. And we, at any point were you thinking, I, I've got this. The diggers had it much worse than me. I can, I can push through. You know, I don't think I actually thought that, Liz. I mean, I certainly, when I, when I paddled away from Anzac Cove the day after Anzac Day, I thought a lot about the diggers and a pretty emotional mm. moment. I mean, you know, for me, I was, you know, I was heading off on a dream uh, of my journey. And I thought back, you know, as it was then, that was actually the 99th year. I, I returned to Anzac Cove in the centenary year. Yeah. And I thought how 99 years you know, the, ago, the diggers had been arriving in a nightmare on the landings at Anzac Cove. So, I, I mean, I had a few tears for a number of reasons yeah, uh, you know, when, I, when I left from Anzac Cove. Uh, I mean, the funny, the funny thing was, though, Liz, was when I did, I had about another four days paddling in Turkey then to get to the first pharmacist, uh, which was in the first uh, town of Greece in eastern Greece called Alexandropoulou. And when I, I pulled my kayak up on the beach at Alexandropoulou and I went to find this pharmacist and there was this lovely pharmacist that she didn't speak a word of English and I didn't speak much Greek at all. Uh, so I thought, well, that's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wiggle my finger in front of my face and I'll wiggle my finger behind my bum and she'll know that, uh, you know, that I've got worms and I need, I need mm. something for that. And she looked incredibly blankly at me and just didn't, uh, didn't react at all. And then I realized that actually my little backpack that I had with me, I had a packet of uh, Haribo jelly worms. Uh. And I just, so I grabbed, one of the, I grabbed one of those out of the pack and I wiggled that in front of my face and then I wiggled that behind my bum and she just broke out into this broad smile, started laughing and handed me the worm tablets. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then I, you know, I started recovering well from there. So it, was, it wasn't to that particular journey. It wasn't a good start, but again, you know, coming back to that business of, of the bank, maybe I need on that journey, I needed those things to go wrong to make my month prior to that of being almost horizontal most of the time and in a lot of pain to just disappear from my mind and thus from my body. This was part of a, a year-long journey around the Mediterranean. Um, what what um, inspired this trip? Oh, look, I think the inspiration, Liz, for the Mediterranean trip uh, it's true inspiration is probably lost in a haze of red wine as many, many journeys and ideas Great trips are. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think for me, though, the med it was a bit of a combination of factors. In, 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 in earlier years before, I'd, I'd done a series of journeys around Australia, which was 25,000 kilometres by, by, by kayak, river and sea, by bike, by foot, uh, and by ski, and say, interestingly, for people who aren't aware, you chose the most difficult route between each capital city. Yes. Well, I, I, ch- I chose what I thought. I mean, I guess it was difficult, but I chose a route that I thought would be a wonderful time, a wonderful way for me to see my adopted country. And uh, you know, that 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 particular project started really with just the idea to ski from Melbourne. Sorry, to to ski the maximum length of the Australian snow country uh-huh. from the most southerly snows in Victoria to kinder in the northern end of Kosciuszko National Park and then that journey grew from well why don't I start at Flinders Street Station and finish at the Opera House do that ski but you know mix in some paddling and some mountain biking etc and then sort of two-thirds of the way through that journey I thought well how 
what a fabulous way to see Australia. So that became this mm -hmm. journey linking all of those state capitals by the best deserts, mountains, rivers, coastlines, etc. So, I mean, perforce it became a pretty tough route. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for the hardest, but it was obviously if you're, you're not going on the blacktop and you want to follow yeah. mountains or deserts or rivers, it becomes quite challenging. So I think when I'd done, you know, I, I completed that journey, which was a, you know, an exploration, a wonderful series of journeys around my adopted home of Australia as a continent that, you know, the idea of doing a journey that involved more countries than, than one uh, and, and maybe, you know, not a continent, but a sea or an ocean. I, I mean, I, I can't really think why I, I thought so much about the med. I think there was a little bit of, you know, I, I came from the UK, I came from Europe, an opportunity to go back to explore a bit in a bit more detail some of the places that I had spent time. Uh, but the thing that I think the thing that really, you know, that, 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 that particular journey idea of going around the med was uh, long an idea. But it was really when I when I learned about the Anzac centenary coming up in 2015, that it gave it an, you know, a, a wonderful link to Australia. And, you know, that's when I really started planning, you know, could I set off from Gallipoli the day after Anzac Day uh, in 2014? And could I get back via this mode of transport via, well, I originally planned 22 uh, countries around the Med. Could I get back there in time for the Anzac Centenary in 2015? And that that was what really kicked it off as, a, as an idea there. I could do a journey that was a long way from Australia, but had a very, very clear an important link back to Australia. I'm kind of really interested to know for you as an Englishman um, whether the, we had the same sort of resonance um, as it does Gallipoli does have, have for Australians. Uh, well, certainly, certainly before I came to Australia, the story of Gallipoli wasn't uh, taught to me either at school or, any, or by anyone. Mm. I was aware. Uh, um, one of my uh, favourite songs that my English teacher, who uh, was the first person to sort of introduce me to the Irish pubs of Sheffield when I was about 16 or 17, and he was a very keen folk singer, and he uh, used to belt out, and the band played Waltzing Matilda mm. by Eric Bogle. Uh, mm. And, and that, you know, I knew, that was probably all I knew before I came to Australia. I mean, I, I found that story very moving, and I... And I belted it out as much as I could, uh, you know, when I was paddling along the coast of Turkey or elsewhere. But by, by the time I got around to doing the Mediterranean trip, uh, I've been in Australia. I mean, I moved here in 1990, so you know, I've been here 25 years. And I'd, I'd seen the good and the bad of the, of, of, of the Anzac commemoration, that it, it had, you know, it was a very important thing. But it was also, you know, in some ways, you know, many people sort of hung, hung off it and, and made all these things up that, that I, I didn't consider to be necessarily true about the Australian character and all the rest of it and some of that jingoism and nationalism that went with it. Mm. So, you know, it wasn't that I, I felt that, you know, that was such a key part for me and I believed in all of the, the Anzac legend. I think, I think it was more just that it was, it was an important time. It was an important time for Turkey. It was an important time for the UK. It was an important time for yeah, France in, in the conflict. I mean, many, many more people uh, died in that in that conflict, albeit, uh, you know, this was really Australia and New Zealand's first 
uh, you know, major conflict that they, as independent nations, that they that they went to. Yeah. But I, you know, for me, it really just it, it it worked well for you know the journey for for me there. It gave me an opportunity to to go to Gallipoli. I'd never been there before. I certainly wanted to commemorate uh, the Anzac legend and what went on there for all nationalities. Mm. Uh, I certainly didn't want to glorify it, and and I think that in some ways is what made me uh, choose fairly early on that I wanted to use my journey as a fundraiser specifically for uh, children affected by war and conflict and and, and children being the most innocent victims of the war and conflicts around the world. And, uh, you know, in my, you know, many, a few people, when I, when I said what I was going to do with this journey, they said, Oh, you know, will you raise money for the veterans or the, you know, a charity like soldier on or something like that. And I said, no, well, I, you know, for me, I think it's, it's the innocent victims. And of course in the year or the six months that leading up to me setting off from Anzac Cove, the, the desperate tragedy uh, took hold in, in, in Syria mm-hmm. uh, and the refugee crisis there and the millions of people who started heading out onto the Mediterranean looking for some sort of sanctuary and, uh, many thousands of, of, of people in, and, and many, many hundreds of children who were maimed or, or drowned on those journeys across the Med. And, and, and I think so, you know, it was, it was partially because I was starting from a place of war and conflict, uh, but it, it pushed me into, into wanting to raise money, not, you know, for, for those innocent victims. And, and hence my link began with Save the children, Save the children uh, yeah. raising money specifically on the Mediterranean trip for the children of, uh, of, of Syria. And, and did you encounter any of the refugees on your travels, Hugh? I, I did uh, towards the end in Turkey, and I uh, came. It was, it was probably more when I was uh, considered at times to possibly be trying to uh, escape from. Uh, you know that that conflict when I <clears throat> both in Syria and earlier in the journey when I was in a little ocean rowing boat rowing from Tunisia where we were buzzed I was with a young Slovenian guy in this rowing boat uh, rowing or trying to row to Turkey mm-hmm. and uh, we were buzzed a number of times by the Italian Coast Guard uh, both ship and plane uh, and uh, because they were all the boats leaving from Libya trying to get across to Italy then Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I was going up the Turkish coast, I was sort of held up a number of times by uh, the police and the Coast Guard off Turkey, you know, wondering, was I in a single sea kayak somehow trying to escape to a Greek island uh, as a refugee? But uh, right. obviously, obviously wasn't. But probably more for me, Liz, was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have really long or strong encounters with refugees on the journey, but Later, after my journey finished, I visited with Save the Children a number of the refugee camps in, in Greece mm. and, 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 and was very uh, honoured to, to, to have the opportunity to spend time talking to children and, 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 and adults who had uh, you know, fled, from, fled from those conflicts. You toured um, a couple of the refugee camps with Save the Children and you raised a certain amount of money for the, for the charity as well? How did you manage to do that as you were traveling? Was it its sponsorship with people you met or was it people back home that had supported you? How did that work? Uh, yeah, I did various things. I'd, I'd sell every country. So, you know, I'd say to people, right, okay, if you, 
I've got, you know, I'm going to be paddling through all these different, or paddling or walking, rowing past, uh, biking through all these different countries. You know, if you'd like to own Monaco, then you can buy Monaco. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a small but very rich country that'll cost yeah, you three thousand right. dollars. Uh, if you want to buy, if you want to buy uh, Gibraltar, uh, you know that might cost you a thousand dollars. But you know, Turkey is where I start and finish. If you want to buy Turkey, it cost you ten thousand dollars. So there was things like that going on, and, and there was you know, people just just putting funds into in, into uh, into the pot uh, for me, and and I think probably the 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 most special. Uh, a money that came in for me was late on in the journey, 11 months into the journey. So I'd been you know, going for, for 11 months from, from Anzac Cove and we were in this little rowing boat. Now I, I'd never rowed in my life. I never had an idea that I would be in a rowing boat when I started the journey around the Mediterranean. But by, uh, by the time I, I'd come to set off from Turkey, uh, Libya had become an absolute basket case worse than when Gaddafi was in charge. Syria, of course, had, had had the civil war. And I knew that it was impossible for me to travel through those countries. And so I didn't know when I left at the beginning of the journey what my solution to not being able to go through those, those, those countries was. You mean overland? Just, overland, paddle the coast. I mean, I, I did originally plan to cycle out of... Uh, Algeria into Tunisia and, and through Libya, but you know this mm-hmm. wasn't going to happen. Mm. And and just by a, a wonderful set of coincidences and circumstances, I found myself in a, an ocean rowing boat, rowing twenty four hours a day with this young Slovenian. Uh, and we were trying to bypass those countries uh, and paddle from Tunisia to Malta to uh, Cyprus and and into Turkey, but. We had some pretty wild conditions out in the middle of the med. It was the middle of winter. People who don't How know big the was med the boat? Uh, seven metres. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, and people who don't know the med, you know, I think they think of it as this, you know, calm lake-like body of water that mm. uh, is surrounded by beach bars and umbrellas I, and all the rest I, of it. I think that's exactly what they think. And you would have been docking, you know, to have a have a have some sardines on toast and some ouzo, yeah? That, that, that's right, that's right. But it, <laughs> it, it is actually a violent, vile piece of water. And, you know, we are both in the sea kayak and in the ocean rowboat. We encountered some massive storms as, as big as any I've seen, you know, off the coast here. And... Uh, Anyway, one of these winter storms took us off course. I mean, these ocean rowboats are like the bathtubs of the ocean. They, uh, it's pretty hard to move a ton around with a with a pair of sticks. Yep. So uh, we got washed up onto the Greek Peloponnese uh, instead, and one thing led to another. And I was running out of time. The weather we got stuck in this really bad weather on the Greek Peloponnese for a couple of weeks, and I was fast running out of time. I still had to. I had my sea kayak. Uh, by now sitting in Marmaris, I had a thousand kilometers once I got to Turkey to see kayak the final month or so back to Gallipoli. Yep. So I made a very difficult decision when, after we'd been stuck in in, in Greece, it was getting towards the end of March, uh, that I had to abandon after 11 months the human powered element of my journey, which was a key part for me. Mm. And I traveled to Athens and I flew uh, to the island of Rhodes and then took a ferry across to Marmaris to where my sea kite was. And so I 
you know, I, that, and that, that was a really hard decision for me. I'd come so far under human power, and yes. for about, you know, 300 kilometers, I, I, I abandoned it. And I felt pretty, pretty rough uh, when I got to my sea kayak. And anyway, I set off paddling, and the first camp back in Turkey, uh, I, I camped about 30 kilometers up the coast from Marmaris on a beach, set off the next morning, and, and it was a pretty foul headwind, and I was making no progress whatsoever. So I just turned around and thought, I'll just go back to the beach and I'll sit there and wait for the wind to drop. And when I got back, I turned on my phone and in came various emails. And one of those emails was from Save the Children. Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of me when I was seven years old in, in South Wales in, in the UK. And uh, it was a picture of me in my, my primary school class. Uh, and a an email forwarded from Save the Children by my primary school teacher from 1971, who I'd had no contact with since, but turned out she'd been following my journey. And this email from her said, you know, I've been following your journey around the med. Uh, I got really upset when I saw your little video you posted on social media about you having to take non-human power to in order to complete your journey back to Anzac Cove by Anzac Day, uh, I felt really bad, uh, and I'm sending you, uh, uh, you know, the equivalent of ten thousand uh, dollars, or sending Save the Children ten thousand dollars to encourage you on your way. And uh, this wonderful lady who lives in an aged care home in in, in Cardiff in South Wales who's been helping children all her life. Uh, oh, my goodness. You know, just, just did this for me. And I, 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 I remember just having a few tears on the beach and sure. realising how, you know, my little trip, if you like, my concern about the human-powered nature of it was, was absolutely minuscule in, in the scheme of things and the good work that could be done for the children of Syria with the $10,000 that, that Mary had provided. And I climbed back into the kayak and I'm pretty sure that wind was just as strong. And I just <sighs> sang to the wind and fired like a bullet into that wow. headwind and just, I think co- combining shouting with joy and, and, and crying with uh, gratitude for, 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 for what she'd done. So, uh, you know, yeah. So, Long, 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 long answer to a to a simple question that the money came in various ways to, to, to save the children. Thank you for um, joining us today on Talking Australia. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Liz, it's been a great pleasure chatting to you too. And thanks very much for having me on. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.